So we're going to try something a little different here this morning. My prayer today for us as we do this for these um, these moments that we spend in this building on this day is that what is shared here will be supplemental to what you're taking in and what you're doing Monday through Saturday and the rest of Sunday. That that what happens here as we open God's Word and and dive into these things is just something that it's it's like a vitamin. It's not the meal, it's not the it's not the breakfast, lunch, supper, figuratively, that you're getting throughout the week. This is just like this is hopefully more than Flintstones vitamins, you know, something that's a little that's that's got some sustenance to it, but something that kind of energizes you. And I pray that it stirs your affection for Jesus more more than anything else. And as it as it does mine. But I want to talk about share about finding and doing the will of God. And last I, I know it was last week um, Jesse shared and and Pastor Andy shared the basics and talking about the basics. So in talking about finding and doing the will of God, I want to start with just the basics to to find the specific will of God because that's when when you think like when you and I think of finding the will of God, that at least for me that's where it goes. Right, it's the scenario that you get in. It's like, okay, Lord, I know this big picture kind of thing that you, have, but I want to know what to do next. Like tomorrow, I have this decision I have to make. Which way do I go? Or it, it, we just closed the school year, right? That's the big thing on the seniors' mind is. What are you going to do with your life? And if you hadn't thought of it, you know, prior to that, then it's panic mode because it's over and now I have to take this next step. But we ask the questions as believers, and I, and I think even unbelievers, they ask this question, what do I do next? For us, it's trying to discern the specific will of God for our lives and to go there, I think we have to start with the general will of God. And the first question that comes up in finding the will of God is, why are we here? And that's the first part of your outline is, why are we here? And it's tiny. <laughs> My bad. We should have done this like way ahead. But I think... Hopefully the screens are clear enough now that you can actually see. Why are we here? Um, the obvious question answered, and and maybe sarcastically, and and I I speak three di- three different dialects of sarcasm. So there's not anything that you can say sarcastically that I don't go. Oh yeah, I completely understand what you're saying here. But the the first answer to that question, why are we here? Might be, well, I was brought here, I drove here, uh, I was drugged here. Uh, but I'm not talking about the little here, like why am I here in this building today doing these things. But more the, the big here. Why are we here? Like why are we 
on this earth? Why were we created? Why were we made to inhabit this place and live here? And the first thing that I would say, I think the first way to start is let the scriptures speak for why we're here. And it's going to be First Chronicles chapter 16, beginning at verse 8. And I'm trying to, forgive me if I sort a little bit here. First Chronicles 16, starting in verse 8. This is, this is David's song of thanks. And I'm not really going to go so much into, like, okay, when this came and how this happened. Um, but David was uh, appointing a time of thanksgiving. <clears throat> and in this time of thanksgiving, this is what he said. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. O offspring of Israel, His servants, children of Jacob, His chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember His covenant forever, the word that He commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that He made with Abraham, His sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When you were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and joy are in His place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever and ever. Amen and amen. So the first point that is kind of the some of the summation of all of what these great words are speaking about God is to know Him 
to be known by Him and to make Him known. That's that second line there in your outline. To know Him, to be known by Him, and to make Him known. That's why we are here in the big picture. We were made to know Him. We were made to be known by Him. And we were made to make Him known. And when you think about the children of Israel being in this space that they were in as, as David was giving them this song of thanks, they were a small people. They were a small nation. Compared to the, to the, to the rest of the world, they were pretty insignificant. And yet he chose to pour himself into them, make himself known to them. Wind that forward. Were you great? I'm just going to ask you, like, were you this awesome thing before Christ? Because if you think you were, I think that there's an evaluation that needs to happen. Because, I mean, I thought I was something. I did. I thought I was something before the Lord showed me that I wasn't. And then I realized, you aren't. And ever since then, I've been realizing, it's like, you, you ain't all that. Like, you might do some cool stuff here and there. You might have some ideas, and you might... Like technically, I dig technical stuff, and I can do these things, and I enjoy them, and I just I light up when I think of doing some stuff that I do, just different pieces and parts. But it's like, yeah, I, you didn't come out of the womb, you know, with the tools and the wisdom, and it it was a gift of God to understand any of those things. Now I'm speaking for me, just being technical or talking about those things. But there are other things that God has worked into your lives that. He has worked into you and given you opportunity to know. Now, we'll get more into that as we, as we go on in the series, but we weren't all that. We were insignificant. We were nothing apart from Him. And yet, He poured out His blood, His life for us to save and deliver the unworthy and then he does more than that. He he doesn't just like save you now. I save you, grovel. No, now I'm. I it's called imputed, right? It's like the righteousness of God is like given to us in Christ, and it was it would have been a foreign object to us before that, except for the work of Christ on the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now it's like something that just becomes a part of us because He gave it to us. So we were made to know Him, to be known by Him, to make Him known as a people who were insignificant, but made significant by the cross, by the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been made significant. So when you see in here David speaking of the covenant that was given and the promises that were given, like we know those even more than they. Because we've seen the fulfillment of all those promises. They all came to Christ. And they were all wrapped up with a bow in the, in the 
death, burial, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When we think of, again, the why we are here, often reminded, and the notes are there, of the first statement in the Westminster Catechism. And the, the question is, you know, what is, what is man's primary purpose? You know, and, and, it, and it reads this way. Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that gets me every time I say it. It just does, not because I just, oh, it just makes me feel all warm and gooey on the inside, but because it, I, I think of that as like, I have a purpose. How, how many of y'all, like, been in situations where you're doing something and you just go, I don't, I don't know, what's the, what's the purpose of this? It just seems like an exercise. It just seems like I'm just doing something because I've been told I have to do something. Or I'm just doing this because, well, it's my job. It's what I'm supposed to do. And you feel like, I don't feel like I really have a purpose in this. And it just, it's empty, right? I mean, it just feels like, oh, why am I doing this? No one's really given me any clue why I'm doing this. It's like, well, just move that pile of sand from here to there. And then when you're done with that, move it back over there again. And, and, and it might not be a pile of sand, or it may be a pile of sand. I don't know. But they're just those things, it's like, is there a reason for this? But when you know that there's a purpose for this, and when you know that that purpose is so much bigger than you, and you get to do that, like I, I have a purpose, there's a call in my life, and there's a purpose for this, and not only do I see the purpose, but I get to do this. You see how that ties together? That See how that, that, that kind of excites me and stirs me up? Because I think it's like, I have a purpose. You have a purpose. To glorify God, that's huge. That's huge. Your purpose, to glorify God. It's not moving piles of sand, just doing meaningless work. It's like glorifying God. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, to glorify God. But tied right on back of that is and enjoy Him forever. Enjoy that, not just knowing Him and knowing the purpose, but I get to enjoy being known by Him. Being known by this Creator, this great, mighty, awesome One. Next steps, then. If we know why we are here, then the next question is, what does the Lord require? Right? What does the Lord require? Now there's a very direct answer to that question. And it's found in Micah chapter 6, starting at verse 6. And in my Bible, as I look at it here, it says, what does the Lord require? Okay, well, let's see the answer to that. Then what does the Lord require then? This is understanding just the general will of God. 
What does he require? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for this sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So, the primary forms of love that are here in this. It's there in your notes too. The, the primary forms of love. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Those are the primary forms of love. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Justice expressed this way, do justice. Very simply. Mercy. Love kindness. Other translations actually say love mercy. And faithfulness is expressed as walk humbly. Do justice. Love kindness. And to and to take the the feely part out of love, which we kind of draw into things a lot, like feely, feely, oh I love this so much. I love pizza. I love people, I love puppies, I, I love crayons, I don't know, what, whatever you say, just kind of that feely, oh, I love to do this, I love to be here, I love these pieces and parts of relationship in life. No, no, the love that's expressed here is more of embracing. It is an action, it's a, it is a, a taking in of something. So when it says love kindness or love mercy, it's it is an it is a more speaks of compassion and an expression of that than it does of just feeling love but it's a doing love matter of fact all of the words that come in this are not passive words but active words right do justice Love, embrace, kindness, walk humbly. They're not just about how I feel, though that can be in there, but they're about motion, movement. And I, and I have to say this to us, to the believers here. Show me your faith. You know, we're familiar, some of us are familiar with James when he talks about that, right? Right, you, you, James, you, you, you're familiar enough of that, you know, it's like, you say you have faith apart from your works. I say, show me your faith by your works, right? Paraphrasing. When... He says, I require, this is what the Lord requires. Not the sacrifices, not the animals, not the giving of the firstborn. Well, why would he say that? Because he was the one, God is the one who instituted all those things. 
It's just like what we did this morning. It's reminders, right? These are things that are designed to quicken our minds to what has been done on our behalf. And so all the sacrificial system, that, that, was, that was the same thing. It was like quicken their minds to this is sacrifice and I'm doing this. I'm pointing you to the ultimate sacrifice. You need to see what's happening out here. Quickening our minds to see something. So the sacrificial system was like, why, why was he saying, you know, he wasn't, I don't want to say that, the, I don't want to add some idea that it, he was being flippant about the sacrifices when he said, what shall I do? Shall I do this? Shall I do that? And I think the concept there is like, it's just never enough. It just keeps going and going and going. We just keep doing and doing and doing these things. But what is his call to us then outside of that is, it's deeper. I'll just say it that way. It's deeper. And I think that we'll see it more in the next part. What does the Lord require? The primary forms of love, justice, mercy, faithfulness. And I think we'll see better what I'm trying to say in the great command. The great command. Matthew chapter 23, verses 34 through 40. Matthew 22, Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love. Love God. Love your neighbor. What does what is required of us? The general picture of the will of God. To do justice. Love kindness, walk humbly, and overarching all of that, outside of all of the commands, outside of all of the, all of the rules, is love God and love your neighbor. They were trying to trap him because they were always trying to figure out, especially, especially in this group, they had so much of the Word, they had so many things available to them, so they were always kind of in this debate, well, which one's more important? Like, what are, the, what are the weighty ones, and what are the minor ones of the laws? And we're not talking about the Ten, okay? We're not talking about the Ten Commandments here. We're talking about 613. There's 613 commands in, the, in what they called the law. And you've probably heard it called this before, it's the Torah, Right, the Jews they they were they will refer to the Torah. That's the law, and it's and it's the book of the law. It's, we divide by chapters and we divide by books. It was just one big thing. They saw it all as a whole picture, and there were six hundred and thirteen commands in there. And so it was always this debate back and forth. Okay, which one, 
which of these are the weightier ones and which of these are the minor ones? Well, looking for major offenses or minor offenses. Which ones do we throw more attention to? Which ones do we... And Jesus was just like, stop it. You had 613 commands, and you've blown every one of them. Every one of them. I give you things, you know, back there with Moses, giving those things out. I give you something, you blow it. Can't keep that one. Sacrificial system still rolling and everything else. I give you more. Clarify a little bit. You know, you, you look at the Ten Commandments and they stand above it all, but branches out of that is like, okay, let's be, let's be specific. Let's spell some things out. But well, okay, I'm just I'm kind of wondering here. You know, I mean, if I don't quite kill the person, does that count as murder? Like if I just hurt them really, really, really bad, but I don't actually kill them. Okay, well, here, okay, so now if this happens to that, and well, what if my cow actually like didn't mean it was just like it was scared and ran over the guy am i still responsible for the the, the, the you know and and these were guys who were tithing herbs right they're tithing herbs they're withholding from their own parents care and kindness because of the law well we found this way to make this seem certainly better than blah and I can understand why God was saying, here, new moons and your Sabbaths, they make me sick. I designed them and you're making me sick with how you run here and you forget. Behind all of this is love God and love one another. Because He's poured out His love into us. It's available to us. So speaking of his general will and dealing with this, Jesus just cut right through it all. He dealt with their specifics. You know, hey, look, if, you, if, you're, if you're mad at somebody and there's not good cause for it, it's murder is here. It's at your heart. Like if you look at another person with lust, that's the same as committing the act. You know, it's... We we you know focus on the do not the think and feel. It's like God says no because it's I want your heart changed. Christ Christ died to not just change your circumstances. He he didn't just die on the cross. It, you pointed it out right that that so much of the time when we talk about and by His stripes we are healed and we go oh my body's healed yay that's what that means. It's like well, you know healing of the body, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Over here, over here, we definitely will pray that God will heal. We know if someone's healed, it's Him. You know, even if it's at the hands of a doctor or a Tylenol, we know it's a gift of God's grace that that happened. We understand that came from Him. But when we understand what healing really means, that it's healed from sin, delivered from sin, that is a totally different perspective, right? And so we see that at play here. We, we want to mince words and grab at certain things and make certain boundaries around stuff because, well, let's just kind of carve this out and make this, okay, you can't do this, but you can do that. Let's just make some distinctives here. And it's like, we'll just keep drawing boundaries 
around things, and we just make them tighter and tighter and smaller and smaller until you're just basically just standing there, and everybody's like bumping into each other. It's like, well, uh, you know, can't do this, can't do that, can't go here, can't, 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 can't. And God's like, would you stop focusing on what can't and don't? And if you pay attention to what I say do, a lot of that stuff disappears. Because can I love someone and think murderous thoughts about them? I hate you. You know, can I, can I, can I love them and think that? Can I run after other stuff and make other stuff gods in my life? And love God? They don't go together. They're, they're going to oppose one another. Like whether It doesn't matter if it's stuff or money or power or whatever. They're going to oppose one another. You can't do those things together at the same time. So God says, if you cultivate the love that I have poured out on you, what is another thing that you said about, you know, the wind and the sails, right? It's like the wind and the sails is the Holy Spirit. We, we cultivate or we turn the sails into that wind that we receive the motivation into life, the forward that we need. So what does the Lord require? Justice, mercy, faithfulness. What is the great command that revolves around love, loving God, loving our neighbor as ourself? And then that kind of gets us to the place of the specifics. We've talked about the general will of God that is all wrapped up in loving Him and loving each other and, and, and loving others. I don't just say each other, but loving others. But the last question, how do we prepare ourselves for the pursuit of God's will? Is that third question on your outline there. How do we prepare ourselves for the pursuit of God's will? Now I'm talking about the specific will. Because that's what we get down to again. It's kind of where we started. Lord, what do I do with my life? What do I pursue? Where do I go? What, 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 what choices do I make? I don't know. There's so many things out there to choose from. What do I do? So we're going to talk about how do we prepare ourselves for the pursuit of God's will, God's specific will. The first thing on the list that, that I'm going to say, you know, it's not these... Let me be clear. This is not this definitive list, and you go through Scripture, and it says, they do these things, boom, boom, boom. I, I want to give you some insights, at least give you some ideas. Um, one of the first things is repent daily. Repent daily. And I want to kind of back up and clarify, repent. Because I, I know that we see, I have sinned, I am bad and i need to not do that anymore that is just a part of repentance that is the part of repentance the the scripture reference is one i think that's going to be super familiar second second chronicles seven fourteen. 
you know, pull this just right off a coffee cup just so you would be able to handle or I mean it's not a coffee cup because it's kind of it's a long verse probably a wall thing right like it's something you need to have on a wall Hobby Lobby's probably got those right Lige okay probably so Second Chronicles seven fourteen. if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Right? And we hear that. Now, I've, I've heard the arguments down, well, you know, this was the dedication of the temple, and he was talking to the children of Israel, and so it was their, it was their command and their thing. And I just have to just kindly say baloney. Baloney. If my people. Now, can we say that about ourselves in Christ? Absolutely. Okay, so if my people will humble themselves, put yourself in the right place before God, and pray and seek my face, Lord, what is your will? That's seeking His face. What do you want me to do in the bigger situations or smaller? Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear, I will answer, I will heal their land. Brian, you shared earlier the, the lists of the things that we just see him and we hear him and we like, oh, we're facing this. And it's easy to look at that. And I appreciate, really appreciate this. Like those words of encouragement. It's like, look to the Lord. Look to his word. Take heart in those things and stop looking at all these other things. A- Amen. And I want to tack something on to that just a little bit. We look at the world around us. And it's easy to think that's about them. If these sinners, if these heathens would just come to Christ and stop doing all this stupid stuff, we would have a better world and things would be good again. And I have to ask you the question, who does God care about the most when it comes to His will and purposes on this earth? His kids. If you're a father... I, I'm, I'm gonna say as as a dad and an, and I'm an uncle and a grandpa. Like I do not look at my kids the same way as I look at the grandkids and the nieces and nephews. My kids, I would be jumping on them and going, "Stop it! Stop it right now! That's gonna get you hurt, and that's gonna cause some problems." With the nephews, though. You, you better, probably ought to stop that, but I'm still kind of curious what's going to happen here, right? Like, do you, do you think you'd be able to pull that off? That, <laughs> that looks dangerous. Oh, I just got to know. Oh, you know, you probably ought to stop that, but I'm just kind of curious, right? I don't have the same level of care that I do for my kids, right? You know, guys, you know, it's like, I, I think that my kids are probably looking at it as like, you do not talk to the grandkids or the nephews or the nieces like you did to us. Because there's a level of care 
that's a little higher. I care about deeply about all people that have influence or or anything over, but over my kids, I like you have my name attached to you. And it kind of matters to me that my name is not a stupid name in the world. You, you know what I'm saying? And I and I kind of feel like that that listen to me, look at the world around us and look at what the church and Christians have done in the name of God that we all look at the word and go, Oh, good grief, people, really? Why? And I know that God's name is not like my name with my kids. And it matters to me how things go with my kids because that's a reflection somehow on me. But I understand that I'm kind of jacked up a little bit. And it's the same guy who would watch his nephews like do something stupid and go, well, I'm just kind of curious how it's going to happen. But I have a Father in Heaven who does not have that kind of jacked up nature. And he wants to see the best things for his kid in his world because it's his name that we're bearing out into this world. And his name is not just Kevin. His name is God Almighty. We read from the very first, you know, perfect in all his ways and, and glory to his name. All these bigger things ascribed to God because they belong to him. Because he is. Period. So his name and his fame and his glory are kind of important. So I don't want to do anything as a believer in him that's going to make his name look stupid in the world. I don't want to do that. I want to listen to what his word says. So, if my if my people hum themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. And I want to add it's more than just Stop sinning. It's about course correction. That's the next point. It's course correction. Course correction. We've been in buildings that were big before, right? Hospitals, huge institutions, where when you go into these places, you see like corridors that all look the same. And offices and rooms that all look the same. And there's just where am I in this huge building? And what do you see? You come in the entrance or near an elevator, and there's a little sign, right? And you walk up to it, and if it's a good sign, it'll say, you are here. And then you can get your bearings. Oh, okay, I'm not supposed to be on this floor. I'm supposed to be three floors up. And then when I get to that floor... I'm going to course correct again. I'm going to look on the outside. Okay, office number 304 is there. And over here on a board, here's the person I'm supposed to see, and they're in this number. And so you just you follow that. And you course correct. Right? You don't just stand there in the... Uh, I'm on the wrong floor. Oh, well, going home. Right? You don't... Do, I mean, if you do that, I'm sorry for you. You've missed a lot of probably appointments and things. No, you don't. You course correct. And that is a huge part of repentance that we miss. 
It's not just, I'm sorry I sinned and I want to do differently. But it's like, and now I'm going to turn where you say go. And go to the place I need to be. So repentance is part of, course correction is part of that repentance. And it's just like, well, I could go in and we could talk about road trips uh, without ways. Back when you had maps and you had to flip pages and uh, I think this off-ramp, I don't know, the numbers don't make any sense, so the sign blew down, and you end up someplace else, and you're like, okay, we're here, uh, where on the map am I? And it's not somebody in the voice saying, make a right turn in a quarter mile, do this thing. Now, as believers, I think ways might be kind of cool. I don't know if there's an app that God gives you that says, you know, in 15 minutes, speak to Bill, you know, or whatever. That might be cool, but I don't know. It kind of takes some of the listening to God and moving through life away. But I digress. It's not just away from sin, but toward God. Right? That's another, another point. It's not just away from sin, but toward God. And I think 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.22 so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In that you see both, right? It's not just flee youthful passions. Just run. And pursue. So it's not just Run away! But it's run away and run to. Right? That's what repentance does for us. It's not just running away from the life of sin and the things that we did that were against the plan and the heart of God, but it's also now running to the things that are with the intention and the plans of God. Right? It's not just this, it's both. It's not either or, it's both and. And one thing about the running is over the shoulder running versus eyes on our helper running. Right? Because over the shoulder running, I'm just all I'm doing is running from sin. That's a good thing. Get away from that. Get away from the drugs. Get away from the alcohol. Get away from the things that trip me up. Get away from the stuff that is pulling my attention away from God and turning my brain into pudding. And I don't care what is, whether it's a substance or uh, something you watch, enjoy, or do. Whatever it is. It's like, just run away from that thing. So we're looking over our shoulders. Do you see where this is going? Something's going to happen. Illustration, briefly. So... I was being chased through my backyard by my lawyer with a gun. He had a gun. Well, I mean, he's my lawyer now, but he wasn't then. We were kids. And we were playing, and it was a pop gun. It wasn't. So we had these pop guns that, that we just, you just cock them, and they just go, boom, and they make a sound. But they shoot air out the end. Of course, that little plastic nozzle to keep you from jabbing it in the mud and the rocks and sticks and then launching that stuff at people, which, of course, immediately came out. And it was jabbed in the rocks and the sticks and the mud. So my lawyer 
who wasn't a lawyer then. Um, small town stuff. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But he's chasing me through the yard. And I'm doing this number, and it's hilarious. And I'm just running really hard, and he's, you know, he's gaining on me you know, with his pop gun. And, of course, he's doing this number with it because he's running. And I'm just, I'm ahead of him. He's, you're not going to get me. What I forgot about was we'd put a basketball, Dad, well, we, Dad had put a basketball pole down at the bottom of the hill, and there was this blacktop place where we played basketball, and there was this pole, this big wooden pole, immovable, buried in the ground several feet probably. And so I'm running away from him, knowing I'm going to run around the house. The next thing I remember is them carrying me in the house, you know, uh, (laughs) and what that taught me it taught me a number of things. But, but the takeaway for this message, what that taught me is running looking over your shoulder is not bright. It's just not. And let me kind of add a little bit of nuance to that. Let's, instead of just, you know, sin and pursuing, just going toward God, how about past mistakes? versus the hope of glory, right? Because don't we do that? Like, isn't it so easy to go back there and be looking over your shoulder? I do not want to make that stupid mistake again. Look at how dumb I was into another dumb something. Into another dumb something. And we wonder... And, 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 we, and I say we because I do. I wonder, it's like, why does this cycle keep repeating sometimes? Why have I seen these repetitive loops at sometimes different intervals, different lengths? It's because I'm looking back in the past. Usually it's looking back in the past. It's like, this is where I messed up with my kids. This is where I messed up with my wife. This is where I messed up with the job and testimony. And, uh, and all. You, you start rattling off lists of... And it's like, I have to ask the question. It's like, okay, repentance is a part of my life. Is forgiveness also a part of what God does for us? I mean, if we say we have no sin, and it's not back there, we deceive ourselves, and the truth, the truth is not with us and in us. But, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Yay! Don't stop there and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which points us back in the direction of walking toward Him. Because righteousness comes from Him, and it draws those who are being made righteous toward Him. Again, perspective is the key. And one last question I'll ask. Do you drive in your rear view mirror or do you drive in the windshield and the side well why why don't you just you know go backwards up the road if you got a mirror you can see what because it's it's small and and objects in the mirror are closer than they appear if you've seen Jurassic Park you know that's scary if you haven't don't bother but Driving in the rearview mirror is just a small window of something, and it's behind you. 
But what is in front of you? When we talk about pursuing the will of God, what is in front of you is like, there's this huge glass and side windows that are hopefully, for you, unobscured by dirt and everything else. If not, get to the car wash. Oh, I go back to repentance again. Drive this way. Drive with a glance to the back and thank you God I'm not here. By your grace, I am moving forward into a lot broader, brighter vista than this because it's behind me. I've left it. Some last things. Remember, it's one of your notes. Remember, the aim is holy, not happy. The aim is holy, not happy. 1 Peter 1, 13-19 Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, the past. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile, futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Remember the aim is holy, not happy. And then one point under that is joy is greater than happiness. What does the Scripture say? Does it say the happiness of the Lord is our strength? No, it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, not happiness. Happiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Happiness is circumstantial. Because you could be happy one minute and something happened, oh, now you're sad. Now you're pursuing happiness and things change? Uh, boy, you're going to chase stuff a lot. You're just going to chase stuff a lot. Joy is woven into our being by the work of the Holy Spirit. Like that's something He just kind of infuses us with. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Because it's the life that's poured into us by the Holy Spirit that begins to produce fruit out in the branches of our lives. And the last thing I'll share in this concept of finding the will of God, finding and doing the will of God, is be teachable. Be teachable. In, in, in Christ we have been, we are, we are the heirs of the promise in Scripture that I will give you soft hearts. I will write your I will write my laws in the in the soft heart, no longer on tablets of stone outside, but in the soft heart. Going back to the dedication and talking about that if my people part, you know, when it was we said, Well, that was the temple, that was back then. It's like wind it forward. Who is the temple? We are. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So being 
teachable, being that soft clay that God can mold and make into what He desires. Romans 12, 1 and 2 speaks to that. I know, again, a familiar Scripture. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to know, begin to know the the specific will of God. Let your mind, your heart be formed, be nurtured, be changed by the Word of God. Break the cycle of being conformed to the world. And I don't just necessarily mean conform to the world, worldly things and, and worldly people and worldly, you know, all the bads. No, just conform to the world. Everything that happens here, just like I just kind of mold around whatever's going on in my life. No, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. No longer wrapped around and molded to your circumstances, but knit and molded to the heart and the calling and the purposes of God in your life. Finally, Second Timothy, Second um, Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, and I'm sure yet again another familiar verse or familiar verses. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Oh, hey, there's course correction in there, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. And when it says that the man of God, that was always a reference for ministers of the Word of God. Ministers of the Word of God. And honestly, I mean just straight up honestly, that's all of us. That's all of us. Ministers of the Word of God. We're all called to be ministers of the Word of God. Every last one of us to hold that Word of God as vital, important, life-giving, and then dispense it to those who we have opportunity to dispense it with. So if finding the will of God begins with the general, understanding the will of God and His purposes in large part, and then beginning to cultivate practices in our lives that revolve around listening and seeing everything in our life in light of what the Word says and moving and living accordingly. And course correcting, course correcting, course correcting daily. Daily course correcting. And that is not a horrible thing. That is not, I mean, sometimes it's a painful thing when you realize I missed three exits because I was talking. <laughs> Done that. Oh, shoot, we're going to Indianapolis, aren't we? Yeah, well, now we're going to Chicago. <laughs> Where do I turn around this thing? Oh, we've lost mm, 10 miles and half an hour in this process. But. But for the grace of God, we'd be in Chicago going, how in the world did we get here? 
course correcting is a daily thing, and it's a beautiful and it's a wonderful thing. doesn't matter where you find yourself and how wonky that might be, to know that the grace and mercy of God meets you, believer, in that spot and says, just, just change course. That's all. I, I, I'm forgiving those things. Change course. And if you have never put your hope in the gospel of Christ, if you've never seen what Christ has done for you and know that, like that's never, your eyes have never been opened to that, my prayer is that they're being opened here in this moment to see first and foremost the general will of God, that you know Him, that you are known by Him, and you can make Him known because Christ has poured that life into you. You have received the blood that He shed, the free gift of His grace and mercy. And the lights have come on and you realized, I am not His. And I know that I need to be. That is the greatest course correction that you could have. To be changed, transformed from darkness to light. So I invite and I encourage that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and truth. Thank You for Your expressing of everything for life and godliness that we need. Help me, help us to avail ourselves of Your Word and Your ways more frequently. And may the words said in the time that we have been here be all rolled up and used for Your glory and Your purposes. In Christ's name, Amen and amen.